Hey movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Untraded Media Podcast. This is episode 141. Sorry we didn't do it last week. There's both a scheduling conflict with me and Josh, and then Josh was just not feeling too great. Plus, last week was super, super slow movie-wise, so that's just kind of on us, just going... Yeah, we don't really feel like we're missing a whole lot. And once again, Josh is not going to be with us this week. He's still not feeling at his peak performance, but that's okay. You're just going to be stuck with me this week. And once again, we don't really have a lot of movie news this week. So since it's just me this week, we're going to do just the movie news. We're just going to kind of flesh it out. We'll just chat about it. Well, you know what that means. Just me talking to myself in a padded room, which you always come here for each week. Uh, But before we get into all that, I've been watching and reading a bunch of different things that that we're going to talk about here for what we we watch and what we read and whatever whatever we're doing. Can't you tell I'm lost without Josh? Josh, please come back to me. I'm desperate. Um, But since it's been so long, there's so much to talk about. Uh, It feels like forever ago, but I saw The Suicide Squad. I posted my review on the main YouTube channel. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on the main YouTube channel if you're listening to us on audio. Um in audio form please check us out on the youtube channel we're really really close to 500 subscribers i want to get us there by the end of the year uh that would be nice and i've said when we get to 500 subscribers i'm going to go back and re-watch my very very first video that i ever did back when it was uh movie guy 17 on the youtube channel react to that because boy that was 2014 and i'm sure it's aged like sour milk i'm just not looking forward to it, but looking forward to it at the same time. So we'll get to that point. Um, but since it's been forever, we haven't really gotten a chance to talk about The Suicide Squad on the podcast. I watched that on opening night and having time to marinate even more, I can pretty definitively say that this is my favorite DCEU movie that we've gotten so far. I had so much fun with this. I was expecting something along the lines of like a Deadpool in terms of just raunchy R-rated violence and humor for the entire time and that you really do get that but James Gunn's master for storytelling in the Suicide Squad is just unparalleled the dude everything is there in this movie with a purpose nothing is there by accident even if it's something as simple as two grown men being overly competitive in how many people they can kill that animosity that they have towards one another will pay off down the road or certain characters like why is rat catcher here there's many good reasons why she's there rat catcher has a purpose multiple purposes why she's in this movie polka dot man makes sense and once again i was proven right that he was absolutely fantastic and one of the best characters in this movie i don't honestly know if i have a favorite because everyone in this is spectacular and i love all of them sylvester stallone is outstanding as king shark polka dot man was amazing this is probably john cena's best performance as him as peacemaker idris elbow was fantastic as blood sport rat catcher i said was fantastic I won't say who he plays, what role it is, but Taika Waititi has a little role here. And Taika Waititi, again, even though he's not in it very much, has this probably the most emotional and resonant scene in the entire movie that basically this movie about a evil starfish that controls people's brains fighting Ratcatcher, Polka Dot Man, and Peacemaker has a message that everyone in the world matters and has a purpose and i'm just going how does this balance and make sense but it does the tone is all over the place but it's still balanced so incredibly well it's so 
incredibly well paced. Like I was never checking my watch at all during this movie. I just had a blast with it. It was so much fun. I can't wait to watch it again and again. And as we'll talk about later, I think James Gunn has a future with DC more so than he has with Marvel right now. And I'm really, really looking forward to bringing what, seeing what he brings to the table. Uh, and then the following weekend, I saw Ryan Reynolds' Free Guy. So as I joked in my review that I did for that movie, okay, Free Guy, I finally saw your movie. Please, please stop showing me your trailers because I feel like I've been watching the trailers for Free Guy for about two years now. And it was good. It was a lot of fun. It's kind of paint by numbers um, for the most part, but there's other parts that I'm glad that the trailer doesn't give you everything. The trailers really hold back quite a bit of what the story is. Yes, you've got Ryan Rollins as an NPC, but there's more to it than that. Uh, a lot of really, really fun cameos. The final third is one of the most fun final thirds in a movie that I've seen in quite a long time. And if you don't know anything about this movie in terms of the surprises it has, please do yourself a favor and do not look them up and just experience them firsthand for yourself in the theater if you feel comfortable going to the theater because this movie lives up to its marketing of it needs to be seen in the theaters and be seen in a crowd because the reaction to if you know you know a specific moment that got me and everyone else in my theater just ecstatic it was so so much fun and then earlier today i watched nicholas cage's pig nicholas cage as josh and i have said on the podcast many times is one of our favorite and most underrated actors because everyone just assumes oh yeah he's the crazy screaming guy they'll do just about any movie yes but he's also an academy award winning actor that when he chooses to can really put on an amazing performance and that's exactly what he's doing with this movie called pig which if you don't know it's basically nicholas cage is a former chef that has a pet pig that's like his basically his only friend and the pig gets taken from him and he goes on this journey to try and find out what happened to his pig from the trailers i thought it might be a john wick style but this is very much a thought-provoking dramatic piece that really showcases the acting ability of nicholas cage and the fact that this comes out in the same year as willie's wonderland which not taking anything away from his performance in willie's wonderland i had so much fun with willie's wonderland especially his character but they're so radically different and the fact that they're just so close together was so jarring but not it would be jarring if it was anybody but Nicolas Cage and I just love Nicolas Cage so much just for his willingness to try anything and just completely throw himself into whatever role he's in pig is really excellent from a dramatic standpoint it's not going to be for everyone uh but it was really really solid and really really good I would not be surprised at all if Nicolas Cage is in some awards conversations by the end of the year for pig because yeah, guys, it's it's that good in terms of acting performances from its very limited cast. Uh, I also watched the season finale of Superman and Lois. I've talked about that before on the podcast of, holy crap, the CW, the people that are normally capable of producing two decent seasons of a superhero show and then it completely falls off the rails, Arrow, Flash. Sorry, I gave up on Legends of Tomorrow really, really quickly. Uh... So I went into Superman versus Superman versus Lois. That's a very different show. Superman and Lois with maximum hesitancy, just because I'd seen little snippets of Tyler Hecklin's characters, uh, Tyler Hecklin's incarnation of Superman on Supergirl, and I wasn't overly impressed. But then I saw the opening clip, uh, like the four minute clip of him giving basically his backstory of like a really rushed forward backstory of 
all right, how did we get to this point? And I immediately fell in love with it. And I was like, okay, I'll give this show a chance. And holy crap, guys, this whole season is one of the best portrayals of Superman and the super family that we've gotten in a very long time. I was very hesitant when they said, yeah, we're going to have two teenage boys, Jordan and Jonathan. I'm going, I don't know if I like this. But within the first two or three episodes, I was really won over with the kids. They're they very much stand on their own and they feel complete. It also adds different interesting narrative storytelling possibilities with Superman. It's not just punch, beat up bad guys, save the world. It's very much a, okay, does the world need me more or does my family need me more in this given situation? Like, what happens when the opinions of your hometown turn against you and your family type? It's, it's really, really excellent, really, really well done. Again... Since one of the first two seasons, there's still a chance for this to go off the rails. It's, can they get past that season two marker? And it, this has been renewed for a season two, and I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm just continually blown away by Superman and Lois, just because it feels nothing like Flash. feels nothing like Arrow. feels nothing like Supergirl. This feels like it was made by a completely separate team with a completely separate budget. Like, the effects on this are actually halfway decent for TV. It, it just gets to the core of Superman is a good person with a good heart and also the writing it's so hard to write a family believably but they do it so well on this show of showing the struggles of parenthood but also having kids but at the same time they don't usually it's still a cw they don't usually resort to annoying squabbling between siblings jordan and jonathan nine times out of ten are on the same page it's really refreshing to see a family that feels genuine it actually feels incredibly well written you don't see that too often so as a whole i would probably give superman and lois season one like an a minus it's really really good i could have used for a little bit more clarity with the villain i think that kind of gets a little muddied at times and not a ton of action but when the characters and the narrative are so well written i don't need action if we've got great character scenes like we've got now, I won't spoil who comes to Superman's aid, like starts as an enemy and becomes an ally as the show progresses, but I appreciate that they already are willing to go into the deeper lore of some of the Superman mythology. I'm going, cool, I appreciate that we're getting these characters already. This is this is really cool. Uh, and then lastly, you know me, I'm a huge Nightwing fan, and so uh, lately over the past few months, this new guy, Tom Taylor, has taken over the Nightwing comic arc, starting back, I think, with issue 77 or 78. I believe it's 78. Uh, the first actual, like, start-to-finish story arc finished. And, guys, it's so beautiful. It's so well done. It so gets to the core of who the character is. Doesn't always have the biggest of action, but in terms of... Getting back to basics of what Dick Grayson is and what makes him special to so many comic fans, it absolutely gets to this. Because Dick Grayson, for those that don't know, has been through the ringer over the past few years. Whether it's being killed off, being stripped of his Nightwing persona, whether being stripped of his Nightwing persona again and rebranding himself as Rick Grayson. Oh, please kill me. That was awful. Uh, but this is a back-to-basics, true-to-form, good-hearted Dick Grayson, and it was just such a rewarding and refreshing read. So, uh, guys, check it out. I think starting with issue 78 going to 83 is the start of this Tom Taylor run. I believe the hardcover copy is coming out in December, but you can still pick up individual issues. It is so good, and I was just like this. This is on pace right now. If Tom Taylor keeps up the pace that he's writing... Uh, Nightwing at, and oh, I'm going to butcher the artist's name, but Bruno Ren, 
Rendino, Rendeno, I don't know how to properly pronounce his name, but his artwork is fantastic, coupled with Taylor's writing. If they keep at the pace they're at, Chuck Taylor might be in danger of losing his top spot as the greatest Nightwing writer of all time, because Tom Taylor's absolutely crushing it. But enough of what I've been watching and reading. Let's get into some movie news, shall we? Because, again, it's tough out there for the theater-going experience as AMC, the geniuses, geniuses, folks, the AMC is our proper grammar, I know not. AMC continues to make stupid decisions. Well, at least one of these decisions seems more like a life raft decision, and one of these seems like we're gonna about to shoot a hole in a life raft that we just got. So AMC has seemingly made amends with the people that they pissed off over Warner Brothers to kind of fix the theatrical window. So for those that don't know, all Warner Brothers movies this year are releasing in theaters and on HBO Max completely free of charge on the same day. And that's proven to be a horrendous strategy. The Suicide Squad bombed horribly, not due to critical reception, critics and audiences have been receiving Suicide Squad incredibly well. I love it. It's probably my favorite movie of the year I've seen so far. But more people saw it at home than they saw in theaters. Mortal Kombat didn't do particularly well. Didn't get as well received as Suicide Squad, but having it debut at home, I'm sure didn't help. I believe Mortal Kombat was extremely viewed at home on HBO Max, so I'm sure that didn't help. Um, But... Starting in 2022, that will not be the case anymore. Warner Brothers is going, okay, we learned our lesson, we learned our lesson. However, they have made some amendments to their agreements with theater chains, more specifically AMC. And now they're not releasing day and date, but they have shrunken the theatrical window to 45 days. What that means is, say a movie will come out October 1st. 45 days from October 1st, those movies can and will show up on HBO Max for free. How does this impact the movie-going experience right now? As of right now, nothing, because this won't go into effect until 2022. But that means when The Batman comes out mid-March, you could see it in theaters opening weekend, like me, like you should. I believe that movie is going to be a big-screen movie, absolutely. But 45 days later, you could see it at home, completely free on HBO Max. I... Don't think this is the worst move that AMC has made. We'll talk about that in a little bit here. But this, to me, is like the final nail in the coffin when it comes to shrinking of the theatrical windows. I think 45 days is basically going to be the new standard going forward of movie comes out. 45 days later, it'll be available for streaming somewhere, which begs the question... From here on, starting in 2022, and actually even from starting from now... Will Avengers Endgame and Avatar now forever be locked in a dueling dragon situation of the two jockeying for a position of top box office spot of all time? Because if movies are only really staying in theaters for 45 days, nothing is going to come close to Endgame or or Avatar ever again just because of legs. Studios will not be able to have the legs for those movies like the reason why avatar and endgame made as much money as they did is people kept going back to see it for weeks and weeks and weeks me personally i saw endgame i think three or four times in theaters um uh, avatar never saw it in theaters but 
Those had legs. Those were in theaters for three, four, maybe even five months. And it would still make, even if it was only making like a million or two each weekend, months down the line, that still adds up and adds up and adds up. With this 45-day window, I think that's just going to compress that even more to the point of box office sales. I don't know what the new benchmark will be for success. I think it might depend on the movie, but like, so maybe it's just me, but like big budget movies lately, it feels like we're conditioned to go, okay, a billion dollars? That That's the threshold, right or wrong, to think that because we tend to think, oh, Aquaman made a billion dollars. Marvel movies average a billion dollars. Like big box office movies need to average a billion I think that's going to change with this 45-day theatrical window. I Maybe about 500? But again, I think that would depend on the budget of the movies that comes out. So like a Halloween, which gets made for 20 or $40 million, that would be a success at $100 million or $150 million. That, that would be a success. But those big, huge, large-scale epics like an Endgame... I don't know if we're going to see as many of those just because the studios might not be able to reap the financial benefits. But then again, we're in this age of streaming where content is key and they really need, any streaming service really needs to plant their flag and go, this is why you need to be watching our stuff. Disney Plus has The Mandalorian. Amazon's going to have this Lord of the Rings series. Netflix has Netflix as their name, basically. Um... So maybe we'll still get large-scale stuff, but with this 45-day window more or less becoming the new standard, I don't think we're going to get large-scale epics like we used to. And I think this kind of solidifies Endgame and Avatar as the two top dogs, probably for the rest of film history, in terms of box office revenue, just because nothing's going to be able to be allowed to get close in terms of legs and duration. However, that's not the only thing AMC-related that has come out in recent weeks just because AMC what are y'all doing you want to stay in business right then stop making boneheaded decisions because seriously get whoever's running AMC I genuinely don't think he either knows or cares how stupid some of his decisions are so it's no secret not a lot of people are going to the theaters right now I I'd say maybe half the people that would normally go to the theater are going if that, it's kind of hard to keep track of, and with Delta currently in the midst of everything, it, there's growing concern. I understand that. But AMC is in a tough situation, and they are in a tough situation. One, because of the virus, but two, because of the situation that they themselves are putting themselves in, because they're morons. What am I referring to? So AMC has recently come out and stated of like, uh, someone asked, basically, what are your plans to be sustainable with the uh, virus still in effect and people worried to go in theaters? AMC, in their infinite wisdom, are going, we have ideas to bring people back. We're going to increase ticket prices and we're going to lower the amount of showtimes per day. Are you stupid? Are you kidding me? You're going, we need more people. Okay, we'll make the tickets more expensive and we have less times for people to see movies. Like, um, does, does this count as sabotage or stupidity? Like, this is beyond moronic. You want people to come through your gates, right? You want people to come to your theater to see your movie. But instead of, you know, making the tickets cheaper or making the overall experience better that would encourage people from leaving their home theater system that they spent thousands of dollars on to see on a big screen. 
you're going, we're going to make it more expensive and harder for you to see the movie that you want. As they're stating, I don't think they put this in effect yet, but going forward, they're hoping to have um, on weeknights, so Sunday through Thursday, last showings of the evening be at 8 p.m. Are you kidding me? Release times for opening night for, like, the Suicide Squad one. Me and my buddy saw opening night was 7 o'clock. So, basically, an hour from then would be the final showing of the night. And you're closing up shop around 10, 10.30-ish with all your staff and everything. That's the time Chick-fil-A closes. And I still think that's one of the earlier closing times for food. Like... A movie theater closing before 10 just does not sound right to me. Because you've got people that are night owls. I am one of them. I don't go to the movie super, super late. But I'm still up. People like to have the option and flexibility in their scheduling. Not everyone can go at 5 on a Friday. They're still coming out of work. So by the time people get home, they still want to go out. Maybe they can only get something at 8.30 or 9 o'clock. Why would you limit the people's ability to see movies? Like, I genuinely don't understand the rationale here. This is beyond stupid. It's like, okay, we've got 10 loyal customers that pay $10. That's 100 bucks here. Well, if we raise our ticket prices to 12 or $13, well, we're, we're going to lose some people. But we might make more money out of that off the difference. I'm going... <laughs> Uh, you're making Bob Chapek decisions here. You're thinking with your wallet, not your brain. This is beyond stupid. I, I don't understand the rationale here. AMC, you're dying, but instead of seeking medical help, you're shooting yourself in your other foot that is working that you shot yourself before with one foot. Now you're shooting the other foot, so you can't walk to get the help to begin with. It's like the Eric Andre meme of where he shoots his co-anchor and it's just like, why would he do something like that? Like, why? Why are you doing this to yourself, AMC? There has been some speculation by no official word yet, but some people are believing that maybe AMC is doing these moves because they don't care and they're maybe dumping some material. Maybe they're looking to sell. I, I don't know if I buy that. I just don't understand the rationale for this. AMC, the virus hit everyone hard. And AMC, at the beginning of COVID... It was not their fault why they were going bankrupt because they spent a lot of money basically refurbishing the theaters, making a better experience for people that went, and also getting AMC A-List off the ground, which is basically their subscription service, which is probably still one of the best around in terms of movie theaters. Uh, you pay like 20 bucks and you get three movies a week, which is a steal, and I wish Cinemark had a better deal than that, but... That's going to put them in the red for a little bit. And then as soon as they were starting to get in the black and things were paying off for them, the virus. But since then, COVID blaming can only get you so far. After a while, you got to go, oh, maybe it's me that's making all these bad choices. Hundreds upon thousands of companies have been affected by COVID. We all have. But after a certain point, this is you going, um... Yeah, we just need to make profits, so charge everyone extra and just make it super super expensive and make it even harder for people to find. I This is not going to make people go, oh, the ticket's more expensive. That means AMC means it's better. People don't think like that. They go, oh, you raise your tickets by a bit? I'm going to go somewhere else that's cheaper. Like, I very rarely go to AMC anymore anyway just because I can get a better theater-going experience somewhere else. Maybe I'm just a purist when it comes to movie theaters. I will fully acknowledge that if that's the case. 
But <laughs> if the idea is to attract more customers, maybe don't raise your prices in a time when people are already struggling to go to the theaters to begin with. Like, I just don't understand the rationale for this. It's almost like the head of HBO Max and the head of AMC both are morons. We're like, let's be morons together. So I talked uh, earlier that I saw James Gunn's Suicide, The Suicide Squad, not Suicide Squad, because there's a big difference between the two of those. Now it seems like, according to uh, DC head Walter Hamada, James Gunn might not be doing just the one Suicide Squad. And I'm very much okay with this. Now, there's a lot of potential things that James Gunn could be attached to in the world of DC. One of the projects being flown around right now, because there's a bunch, is some people are suggesting maybe down the road he does a new attempt at Justice League. There's maybe some reports that he might be interested in doing a Birds of Prey, because there's some Birds of Prey Easter eggs in this. Uh, There's actually a Black Canary reference, which even I missed that in the first one, going, okay, that's a bit of a stretch, but okay. Um... Having seen The Suicide Squad, James's, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, please, 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 please let this man do more DC projects because, oh my gosh, I love The Suicide Squad. Just, its humor is not going to be for everybody, but in terms of its storytelling, I want more of that, please, because this movie fully, fully embraces comic bookness. I, f- I know there's a lot of Snyder fans out there, and that's awesome, but I felt like at times as Zack Snyder, he wanted to change the source material because he might have been embarrassed or wanted to cool it up a little bit as i have my air quotes here cool it up a little bit more for a modern audience just because he's just like i don't think this really works nowadays i'm going you can you just got to put a little extra effort into it james gunn fully acknowledged the campiness and cheesiness of some of the source material but embracing it makes it work better i think these characters are what they are uh, I would like James Gunn to do a Justice League movie. However, I don't think that's the best fit. I think there's some other DC properties that I think he would actually be a better fit for. Case in point, Justice League Dark. That project's been in development hell. <laughs> development hell. The Bad Justice League Dark joke. Uh, that's been in development hell for ever with names like Guillermo del Toro and J.J. Abrams attached at one point or another to the point of I don't know if that's ever getting off the ground but maybe the HBO Max stuff that we're getting with the Zatanna movie and rumors of a Constantine movie those are maybe those are stepping stones to a Justice League Dark I think that would fit better than an actual Justice League proper for those that don't know Justice League Dark is basically the magical mystical underworld side of DC as a team kind of like merged the Suicide Squad, in terms of not necessarily the nicest people, with the Justice League into a team. You've got Constantine, Edrigan, Zatanna, uh, Swamp Thing. Like, kind of the darker, magical, ominous characters that are kind of hidden in the shadows are a team protecting the world from mystic threats. Uh, I think that would be much more in line with his sensibilities of Justice League Dark is typically a more R-rated team than traditional Justice League. Uh... I think because they're not as mainstream characters, he can kind of find a success that he did with Guardians and The Suicide Squad and bringing relatively obscure characters to the mainstream. Uh, there's less expectations of what these characters would be like, like, say, Zatanna or Constantine. Yes, we had Constantine, The Legends of Tomorrow, and some other live 
action forms, but I don't think the general population knows who Constantine other than a Keanu Reeves movie. So I think you've got freedom there. Freedom of Zatanna. Swamp Thing. <laughs> oh, boy. That one's got a lot of untapped potential. I know there was a DC show, but that got canceled real quick due to wacky reasons. And I'll speak for Josh here. We need Edrigan live action form. Edrigan's awesome. Guys, it's basically kind of like the Hulk meets Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Kind of. Very, very, very basic form of that. Um, I think you'd see him doing Justice League Dark. However, selfishly, I would also really like him to do either a Teen Titans or a Young Justice. Because... He excels with teams, and Teen Titans are, like, one of the teams besides the Justice League in terms of just iconic nature of, please, 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 I just want Robin, Cyborg, Beast Boy, Starfire, uh, maybe Aqualad, all of them together. Just please make that happen. And he really excels with these team stories. He balances everyone out incredibly well. Case in point, The Suicide Squad, there's so many people, but I felt like everybody had clearly defined characteristics, specific moments that they really excelled in. Everyone had that wow moment, and I want that from a Titans, whether it's Cyborg having a actual booyah moment that feels earned and not, you know, awkwardly shoehorned in and forced to be there by Joss Whedon in kind of gross situation, um, and maybe an actor that's okay with saying the line. Um, or I can die happy if we had Nightwing leading the Teen Titans and goes... Titans, go! I don't care that it's fan servicey. I need it in a movie someday. I think either one of those would be good choices for James Gunn, and I think it's very, very likely that he becomes a much more prominent role within DC. I'm going to go on two limbs here and hope neither of them snap and I fall on my face. The first one is I think the next James Gunn DC project is going to be announced at DC Fandom this year in October. I think they already know or have an idea of what the next James Gunn project will be besides Peacemaker that's coming to HBO Max in January. That's that's almost done and completed. I think the next like actual James Gunn DC movie will be announced at DC Fandom. And I think after Guardians 3, James Gunn is going to be done with Marvel, I think. And here's why. I think JPEG is doing a lot of damage. That I've made no qualms about. I'm not, that's no secret to anybody who listens to the podcast. JPEG is burning bridges quick. And I think the creators can see the shift in leadership. I think James Gunn was thankful and appreciative of the creative freedom that he was allowed with the Suicide Squad. That was all he talked and raved about. Was, I was allowed to do whatever I wanted. I could do whatever. Like, this, The Suicide Squad feels so distinctly James Gunn. It's so balls-to-the-wall insane. And I think he really enjoyed that creative freedom. And his Marvel stuff has been good, but it definitely feels like it needs to be a perfect puzzle piece to a larger picture. Whereas The Suicide Squad, it's a cohesive narrative that can set up future things, but it's very much its own thing. And I would... I think he would like the potential to be the Kevin Feige for DC. I don't know if he'll go that far, but in terms of being a major presence, I I think there's going to be a seismic shift in Marvel going forward of uh, Taika Waititi might be stepping away from Marvel for a bit. Uh, We know he's doing Thor Love and Thunder, but he's also doing a Star Wars movie after that. And he was in The Suicide Squad, even if it was a limited role. So there isn't these dividing lines anymore of you're either Team Marvel or Team DC. James Gunn's been on both sides. I think Taika Waititi might be going on both sides. And with the current leadership over at Marvel, I think might be on kind of rocky footing. 
in the near future, if Chapek can't get on the same page with some of his employees, I think some of them might jump ship. And I think James Gunn might be the James Gunn might be the first one to do that in a very prominent role. I wouldn't be surprised if they announce the Suicide Squad 2 or Suicide Squad 3, I guess, at this point, at DC Fandom as his next one to just kind of be a safe option. But if they really, really want to blow the doors down at DC Fandom, they can go, James Gunn is doing a new Superman. Because James Gunn almost put Superman in the Suicide Squad. He's gone on record saying the Suicide Squad almost had Superman as the main villain. But they didn't know Henry Cavill's contract situation. I, I've i said for a while, I think Henry Cavill actually will come back someday as Superman. It's just a matter of where and when and what kind of a role. I think James Gunn, I don't know if he'll do Superman, but that would blow the doors down in terms of, holy crap, he's a DC guy now. I, I don't know. I can't shake that feeling that that might happen. But I, I think his future lies more with DC than it does with Marvel. He's done a lot of great stuff with Marvel. The first Guardians is spectacular. The second one is a movie that exists. Um, I, I think he just enjoyed the process so much of The Suicide Squad that I don't see him going back to Marvel anytime soon on a full-time basis. I think he liked the creative freedom that he had. Not saying, he, again, you don't you have to be on Team Marvel or Team DC from a creative standpoint, but... I think he sees the writing on the wall of the future direction of the creative team, and I, I think there's going to be quite a few big names that jump ship to other companies, but then again, that could just be me. Either way, I feel pretty confident saying we're going to get more James Gunn DC projects going forward, and to me, that's nothing but good news. Now, this is not so good news, as it seems very, very likely that Venom... Let There Be Carnage will be delayed again, as it's already been delayed to October 15th, the same day as Halloween Kills, but now it seems like it may be delayed again, again, as, like I said, it's set to come out the same day as Halloween Kills. Now, normally, I wouldn't think anything of it just because an R-rated movie and a comic book movie opening the same day, they can... They have normally separate demographics, but in terms of Venom and Halloween, I think they do kind of reach the same demographic of much more dark and gritty and almost borderline horror in the case of Venom that I think they might, for lack of a better term, cannibalize the competition, basically. And there already are reports, I believe, from like Hollywood Reporter that Sony's considering moving Venom again, even though they just said they're moving it to October 15th. Last week, they might be reassessing it. And I think that maybe when they rescheduled it, they didn't look at the calendar and go, oh yeah, Halloween Kills comes out that same day. Because, make no mistake guys, Halloween Kills is absolutely competition for Venom, Let There Be Carnage. I know most people would think horror, comic book. I think the demographic for this is going to be quite similar. And also, I'm not just saying this as a Halloween fan. I'm not. I swear, but don't underestimate the success of that, I was about to say first Halloween, but Halloween 2018, that blew everyone away from a box office perspective. Also, I do find it interesting that Venom came out the same year as Halloween 2018, if I remember correctly, it's like their fates are forever tied to each other. Um, Yeah, if I'm Venom, 
it's easier to move your date than it is for Blumhouse to move Halloween. Because for me, Halloween kind of has to come out in October. It's not like a Halloween H2O situation where that came out in like August or September. That just feels weird. Halloween, you need to have that come out in October. Venom, while October I can see the appeal of a more horror and horrific comic book movie opening in October. Steal some of that spoopy money. It's easier for you to move, which begs the question... It's going to be really uncomfortable to ask, but if Venom Let There Be Carnage moves again and is no longer in this October 15th slot like we're kind of led to believe, does that push Spider-Man No Way Home to 2022? I think this could have tremendous ripple effect. Um, it just depends. I could see one of two scenarios here. Either Venom Let There Be Carnage, three scenarios, I guess. One, Venom Let There Be Carnage doesn't move at all, and it stays with Halloween, in which case, does Halloween move again, either a week up, and go, hey, we did this for you, the fans, we're gonna open a week early, um, do they move it a week after, the 22nd, or does Venom move to next year, Spider-Man keeps its date in December, in which case, that blows Sony's plan of... Well, this kind of will confirm to the audience that they're not connected, which some of us already kind of know that they're not connected, but maybe they were. Or you kind of know what I'm getting at, people. Uh, I think if this comes out after instead of before Spider-Man, it's going to be hard to convince people that this is connected somehow. Or maybe there is a specific order that this and Spider-Man needs to come out. I don't think Morbius has a specific spot that needs to come out, hence why that's coming out in January next year. If this gets delayed, does this take Morbius' spot in January? And Morbius... I don't want to say it! But does this... If this gets moved to Morbius' spot... Does Morbius then take Uncharted's spot? Because it better not... Uncharted better not get delayed... Again! I need my February 18th Uncharted release date. Please, 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 please do not move this again. Or the third scenario. Venom moves to spider-man slot on december 22nd and spider-man moves to sometime in 2022 which is why we have not gotten an actual official trailer for no way home yet despite some very convincing fake trailers out there that some people are buying into if i had to guess i would say spider-man is keeping its release date in december and venom might take morbius's spot in january which leaves Uncharted in very dangerous territory. I know some people are like, well, they're not they're not connected. They're not in the Spider-Man universe. They're still owned by Sony, and I think they really want Uncharted to do well, so they want it to have a prime spot, which kind of begs the question of why it would have come out in February, but I'm not ignoring your very obvious and very clear and well-thought-out issues that you might have with the Uncharted movie. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be the greatest movie of all time, and I'm not in denial whatsoever at this point. Um, it's... I thought we were getting back to normalcy in the movies, but Sony, as we've seen more than any other studio, has been very gung-ho in terms of, we will release this movie when it makes sense for us to release this movie. And when we can make the most money. They have not released a single movie in the pandemic era. They've still waited for everything to clear up. Now, if this gets moved, actually, there's one more option that I didn't think about. If this does get moved, 
this could take Ghostbusters slot in November. Because that is also a Sony movie, in which case Ghostbusters, unfortunately, would might be moved to 2022. Because that, that, I think, can be slotted anywhere. It could be a Halloween era movie, but it's currently coming out in November now. So if that comes out in November, it can come out anytime. And I have high expectations for Ghostbusters, but I think that one could be moved to move to make room for Venom, if that makes sense. So there's a lot of options here for Sony if they choose to do that. It's just, it's confusing and it hurts my brain to think about my little brain to think all these different options. It's it's like the Charlie Day meme from It's Always Sunny of just like, here's the here's the board of if this happens, then this happens, and this happens, and then this could happen. It, let's just get back to normalcy, please. Everyone just take care of yourselves and those around you so we can go back to the theaters again sometime soon. Because I don't, I, I want to see Venom just like everybody else, but I want there to stop being delays, please, more than anything else. Well, chalk this one up to bizarre and unusual casting, but sure, why not? And that is that the Sonic Movie 2 has wrapped filming and also has cast its knuckles. In Idris Elba, recent star of The Suicide Squad, voiced of Shere Khan in The Jungle Book, an all-around fantastic guy. This is weird casting to me, but at the same time, I'm not overly surprised because from the rumored names that um, came out a few months ago that... Uh, who makes this movie? I forget. Paramount? I forget who made, who made, Sp- who made Sonic, actually. Uh, the people who are making Sonic were hoping for, like, big-name actors, big-name big performers. Like, The Rock was a random name going, ah, I don't see The Rock as Knuckles. Um, so this isn't overly surprising, but at the same time, it, it kind of is. Just going, Idris Elba, an intimidating but yet handsome man that I see as constantly the tough guy with the deep voice. Actually, no, I think about that actually kind of does make sense for Knuckles, and I'll be honest. Knuckles has actually always been my favorite character since the beginning that I've been playing Sonic games, even more so than Sonic, just because I grew up playing Sonic Adventures on Game Boy Advance, and the fact that Sonic, that uh, Knuckles could fly and crawl up the walls, which made it so much easier for me. It almost felt like I was playing as a cheat code character. I, I like Knuckles. Uh, my wife is really excited for Tails, as that was very openly acknowledged that Tails would be in the next one, and uh, the first Sonic movie, which was surprisingly good not like the best movie around not like a surprise hit like Dora was in terms of quality but Sonic was better than it had any right to be considering those first animations that came out oh my gosh those that first trailer still haunts my nightmares but yeah I I don't know how I feel about this casting I really like Idris Elba I also don't really know what I was expecting when it comes to Knuckles like I think this kind of speaks more to a larger issue of why do we have to keep casting big-name people for voice acting roles? I kind of appreciated that Sonic, no offense to, I think it's Ben Schwartz, no offense to him, but he's not a big household name. They kind of went with somebody more low-key that they think could fit the role better. I I do get tired at times of studios going, well, we need to advertise the name more so than the movie or the character itself. That's why you get in animated movies like this whole long list of famous people, famous people, famous people in this movie, voice acting, and you're going, are they the most qualified? However, I'll, 
I'm going back and forth on this, I know. Uh, but Idris Elba has done voice acting. Lion King, he was fantastic as Shere Khan. So maybe he knows what he's bringing to the table. I just think this is a bizarre choice. Not the worst choice out there, but just kind of bizarre. Uh, I would... I'm looking forward to this movie. It's not the most anticipated movie I have coming out, but given the first one, it was decent enough fun, and James Morrison was once again oddly typecast as co-star to a talking animal of some kind on a sidekick buddy adventure story. It's a weird typecast he's typecast in. So uh, count me down for curious about this one. I don't think it's good casting. I don't think it's bad casting. I'll need to see it to believe it or hear it to believe it in this case but please just off the bat please have us have better animation than that first trailer i know you fixed it with sonic which there's still kind of that tinfoil hat conspiracy theory of were you ever actually planning on doing that bad cg in the first place or are you just kind of telling the fans hey we listen to you we're the good guys because we listen to you right and i'm sure that helped their sales when the movie came out so that that's always kind of been my conspiracy theory um yeah, this this is odd to say the least, but consider me curious to say the least. Now, lastly for news this week is something that I'm beyond excited for, and that is Cobra Kai Season 4, which thankfully seems to be coming a lot sooner than at least I anticipated. Netflix has announced that Cobra Kai Season 4 will be debuting in December. Thank goodness. Because why wait, man? I think Cobra Kai Season 3 came in January this year. Now, full disclosure, I have been a huge Cobra Kai fan since day one back when it was on YouTube Red. I actually, admission, I got YouTube Red just for Cobra Kai. And, you know, that ad-free YouTube, but Mainly for Cobra Kai, just because I'm that much of a sucker for the original Karate Kid, and then going back and watching the sequels and realizing, oh my gosh, do these not hold up, especially Karate Kid 3, but I was that much of a sucker for Karate Kid growing up that I was like, okay, I've got to see Cobra Kai. Holy cow, the show's good. Like, really good. I, My wife and I just love Cobra Kai, and we've gotten really into it, and we really appreciate that the show takes elements from the original movies and actually improves them. Kreese was an over-the-top cheesy villain in the original movie, and he's still over-the-top and cheesy in this, but there's more reason as to why he is the way he is. There is no true black and white in Cobra Kai. There's always these shades of gray, which if you're telling characters, good character stories, that's really, really what you want. So... We've been one of the OG fans from YouTube, the YouTube Red days, and so when it came to Netflix, we came became super, super excited because we knew, okay, this is a much bigger audience that more and more people are going to be attached to it with, and that's absolutely been the case with it so far. Cobra Kai has absolutely blown up since it's joined Netflix, and good for it. I think it's a fantastic show. It's not always the best show, and it does kind of fall into like CW teenager drama at times, but for the most part is a really, really well-done continuation of the Cobra, of the Karate Kid legend and mythos, and also at times feels like a do-over for weaker parts of the Cobra Kai mythos. Case in point, Season 3 had quite a bit of flashbacks to Karate Kid 2, and almost enhanced or made things better from that. Makes you go, okay, I kind of want to rewatch it, and I would then have a deeper appreciation of that movie. And we're going to absolutely get that with Season 4, I think, 
with Karate Kid 3 as it's no secret because they've already announced this casting that they're bringing back Terry Silver, the evil ponytail man from Karate Kid 3. I watched Karate Kid 3 as a kid just because I'm a completionist and I didn't see the whole series, but as an adult, Karate Kid 3 does not hold up. It's pretty bad. But Terry Silver was evil then and he was messed up. I cannot wait to see what he is able to do with actual good writing. Um, and the battle lines have been clearly drawn for season four. Like season three did not have the biggest cliffhanger like season two did, in which case I was a nervous wreck going, I need the new season now to see what happens to my boy Miguel, which I'm so happy that the actor playing Miguel has, is getting more recognition and he's going to be Blue Beetle. I'm beyond excited for the Blue Beetle movie. But I'm excited for season four. I'm excited for the direction that they took of like, okay, our peop- our good guys are here and our bad guys are here. Now, to continue with the conversation, I'm going to put a spoiler alert for the rest of me d- discussing Cobra Kai. Just because I think there's some stuff where we should go over season four that you really only will know or we can talk about if you've seen season three. So, if you're caught up with Cobra Kai, stick around. Um, if you're not caught up with Cobra Kai, see you next week. Um, and subscribe wherever you're getting us at. So, season four, I think, can be a really big pivot point for the series. I think there's a certain direction that would be the safe option, but I don't think it's the option that we're gonna get. So, here's what I, here's what my thoughts are with Cobra Kai season four. For those, obviously, that caught up, we know that Johnny and Daniel are now on the same team, more or less. Whatever the new dojo is, obviously, I don't think it's going to be Miyagi-Do anymore. We've got Miyagi-Do, Eagle Fang, school in one camp. You've got Cobra Kai, who's about to get Terry Silver in one camp. And they said, after Johnny and Daniel basically beat the crap out of Kreese, all right, next year, there's the All-Valley Tournament once again. Whoever wins that, wins the Valley. And the other team has to get out forever. Here's where I think they're going to pull something interesting. I think Cobra Kai will win this tournament. I think Johnny and Daniel are going to lose it. And here's why. When the creators of Cobra Kai were asked in an interview, like, do they have a like overarching story? Do they have an end goal to it? They said they had six seasons worth of material that they have written up in terms of an overarching narrative. Ending at season four doesn't sound quite right. They even said specifically they have an endgame type moment in their mind that they want to be the big finale. I think it would be interesting. Our characters and our heroes have been knocked down before. Case in point, Miguel almost didn't walk again after getting kicked off that railing in season two. That was intense enough. How intense would it be if season four is the infinity war of Cobra Kai in terms of you expect, because you've grown and loved these characters for three seasons, the good guys to win? How much of a shock would it be that in the final round or something, Cobra Kai just clean sweeps Miyagi-Do and Miyagi-Do loses completely where does that leave our characters where does that leave johnny and daniel's relationship where does that leave miguel um where does that leave sam where does that leave everybody i think it's much more interesting from a narrative standpoint if terry silver and uh, john crease win the tournament and that way if we do continue the show for like a season five or a season six 
our heroes have to make the comeback. And if that isn't Karate Kid storytelling, I don't know what is. The more you beat down your heroes, the greater the victory when they eventually overcome it. That's just basic storytelling. And season three almost ended on a high note for our characters. And you have to have ebbs and flows. It's like a wrestling match or boxing match. In order to tell a good story, you have to have ebbs and flows. Season three ended on a high note for the characters. Our heroes beat the crap out of John Kreese. They're together as a unified unit. What if they get hit below the belt in next season and it's really, really dark and if we're going to get dark with any character. It's going to be Terry Silver because they did really dark things with that character in the original Karate Kid 3. Now, here's where the fan service part in me comes out because it's absolutely not going to happen, but I can dream, Harold. How great would it be if Miyagi-Do, White Fang, hybrid team, whatever they are, they lose in season four at the end of the tournament and they are forced to disband forever. But then in season five or even season six, we get a new mentor to help come in and go, well, technically I'm not Miyagi-Do or Eagle Fang. And it's Mr. Han from the Jaden Smith one. Now I know that movie's not for everybody. We don't even need Jaden Smith. But how cool would it be to see Daniel and Johnny team up with Jackie freaking Chan? I know the remake isn't for everyone. I love the remake almost as much as I love the original. I actually like the remake better. But if we want an endgame type moment like the creators have teased, how cool would it be to see Jackie Chan in Cobra Kai? Maybe he had some connection to Miyagi back in the day. I think that would be a really interesting way to unite the universes. They never ruled out that the remake was a separate universe from the original Karate Kid. If you want an endgame moment, you bring in Jackie freaking Chan. Bring everybody back. And that's you got to beat down your characters to get to that moment of jubilation. Why did the Captain America wielding the uh, Hammer of Thor mean so much? Because he just got the crap beaten out of him before that. And it looked like, well, we've got no solution to get us out of here. Jackie Chan is always a solution. Jackie Chan makes everything better. And then in season five or season six, he can be the the binding material. Just like how in the remake, he had his own tragedy that he was able to work through. Maybe he's able to be the consoling presence for our characters that unites and brings everyone back. Or we can end season four with Johnny having made so much progress with Daniel, they're on the same page again, him turning his back to go back to Cobra Kai just so he can work with his son again. I think there's a lot of interesting storytelling possibilities here with Cobra Kai Season 4. I'm beyond excited for what they can do. I think this show has a lot of potential going forward, but I think it's more interesting if we do the unexpected and have the villains win because the heroes have won a lot. And that's, that's good. You want your heroes to look strong, but you want your villains to look strong. And if you're going to make any villain look credible, Terry Silver is a terrifying presence in Karate Kid 3. I, just my theory and speculation, but I think that could be a really, really fun route to go of make Terry the big bad. Show, yeah, Terry, John Kreese, he was the nice guy of the bunch. Have him maybe have Terry Silver take away Daniel's car dealership or something like that. Like he buys LaRusso Auto or something like that. Or makes him go bankrupt. Something like I I don't know. Terry Silver was messed up in the original Karate Kid and has a lot of money to blow. So 
I don't know. That's just me with a lot of my theories and speculation there. But Cobra Kai Season 4 has the chance to be the best one yet. Well, is there any, like, movie news that I missed this week? Hopefully, Josh will be back with us next week. Uh, what was some of the big highlights that we talked about this week that you enjoyed? Let us know in the comments below. I always like hearing from you guys. And if you haven't already subscribed to us on YouTube, help us get to those 500 subscribers. Uh, and again, just so I can, we can do the reaction to watch Young Baby 2014 Me. And also, we want to continue to grow the podcast. And if you like the podcast, subscribe to us wherever you're hearing it from, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. And again, subscribe to us on YouTube. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.